Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is uh, Jay Horowitz, the latest edition of Amazing Conversations with Hall of Famer to be Gary Cohn. Mr. Cohn. Growing up in Queens, Columbia University, do you ever think Big Mets, you, June 3rd, you're going to be inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame? Jay, I couldn't even conceive of being in this job when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, my dream was to be the shortstop for the Mets, like my hero, Bud Harrelson, right. but, you know, that didn't work out because I had no talent. Right. Um, you know, and I, I grew up listening to you know, to Marv Albert and to Lindsey Ralph and Bob and, and, and all the, the great sportscasters of the 60s and 70s, but the thought of actually doing this job was way beyond my comprehension. And here we are 35 years later, the concept of going into the Mets Hall of Fame, um, you know, an exclusive club that has just a few dozen members, who could have even dreamt of that? And I, it's still a little incomprehensible. It's going to be a weird day for you. Usually when you have the events, you're telling, narrating the scene, but you're going to be sitting with your hands at your desk with Howie, Al, and Hojo. Uh, you'll have a speech, but it's going to be a little different that you're not going to be you're going to be rock what people say, and it's really out of your hands what goes on that day. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, usually I'm, I'm narrating the events on the field, right. and now I'm going to be standing in that hallowed space, and, um, you know, I, I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like until I walk up to that podium right. and, 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 and start talking. The whole thing is just so uh, so remarkable. I mean, I, you're going to be honored that day, yes, too. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to that because um, it's so well-deserved. Well, and, and, and it, well, you guys are friends. I'm glad I'm going to be, be with you at the same time. Did you have a choice of being a Yankee or a Mets fan? I was always a Mets fan growing up. Well, my father was a Yankee fan, and um, my cousin, who was a big baseball fan, was also a Yankee fan. And so the first few games that I went to were Yankees games. My first ever game was the first Mickey Mantle Day in 1965 in September. Um, and then the next year, um, my dad took me to a Yankees-Kansas City Athletics doubleheader. Wow. Um, and we had great seats. In fact, the, um, the Yankees, I think, lost both games. That was the year they finished last, right. in 66. And um, Roley Sheldon pitched the first him. game for Kansas City. And it was different in those days. He actually was in his street clothes, sat in the row behind us for the second game. Really? That's crazy. Yeah, so he got his autograph. But um, a lot of folks in our neighborhood were into the Mets. And so there was a a dad, one of my friends, who had a station wagon. And a couple of times a summer, he would pile us all into the back of the station wagon and take us to Shea. And it was just so much more of a fun atmosphere, and that's kind of what got me into being a Mets what, fan. What was your first Mets game? Karen? I don't know exactly. It was either in, I think it was probably in 66, but, you know, I'd followed the team. I'd followed both teams, and but it was really the experience of being at Shea that, that, that got me. You know, just the, the grandeur of the stadium and um, the sound of the organ and 
Um, you know, you sat in the upper deck at Shea, you felt like you were sitting on a big throne. It was it was just the coolest thing to be a part of, and, and that's really what got how, me into it. How close did you follow it? You were 11 and 69, right? 11 and 69. And how far close did you follow the, the team? Oh, by then, incredibly you close. You fully converted? Oh, oh there was, it was no conversion. It was, it was just an adoption. Um, my, the first mad hero I think I had was Dennis Ryband, who right. just recently passed yeah, away. Right. Um, and he was a terrific right-hand pitcher. And then when Bud Harrelson came up, he became my guy. You've been a big supporter of the alumni program, which I do know what I like about. You get a kick out of speaking not to the All-Star. Um, George Theodore, right. Skip Lockwood. George Stone. George Stone. I think what's important in terms of carrying on the legacy right. of the franchise, I mean, everybody knows who Daryl Strawberry is. Right, everybody right. knows who Tom Seaver and Jerry Kuzman were. But I think it's important for people who aren't old yeah. enough to remember some of the lesser players to get a sense of, especially some of the characters and the guys who were um, terrific in their own right, even right. when the team might not have been great. I, you know, I always talk about Mets history as being a lot of failure punctuated by incredible right. achievement. Well, but within those failures, there are great individual performances. And you know, Skip Lockwood was a tremendous relief right. pitcher. And George Theodore was a great story and, and, and had an unusual build. Yeah. And, and George Stone had that one great year in 73. And I think all these people are important to the history of the Mets. You know, when I became the alumni guy, I, what I, I try to bring people back to the Mets family. Quick story, when Hobie Landry was the first guy picked with the Mets, I called him about three, four years ago. And Hobie just recently passed away, too. And he said I was the first guy to call from the organization in 50 years. <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff I was trying to do, you know, to bring people back into the, into the realm of things. But we, when, did you, when did you become like a buff buff with the history part of it? You know, you know, I think that happens over time. You know, I was a reader when I was a kid, and my parents always wanted me to read other things, but I always wanted to read sports books. So Xander Hollander used to put out a guide for baseball and would recap the, the last year. And I, I remember picking that book up when I was seven years old, 1965, and reading all about the 64 season and, you know, things that I didn't know. And then that kind of became ingrained. And, I, I you know, I always say on broadcasts, you use things that you learned that day, things that you saw last week, things that you remember from 10 years ago, things that you read that happened 100 years ago. It all kind of gets whipped up into a stew and, and comes out hopefully as something coherent. I to be 35 years with the Mets now. <laughs> it's now it's more than half my life, Jim. Yeah, me, me too, Gary. <laughs> you surpassed, and that's 18 SNY. You, Ronnie and Keith, uh, surpassed Murph, Ralph, and Lindsay, you know, Willie Mickey and Duke Award. Did, did, did you, now one more year than radio? That's bizarre to me because I was always a radio chauvinist. I mean, I always said, I'm not going to TV. I'm doing radio for life. This is what I love to do. And I still love to do radio. But, you know, when SNY started, uh, John Littner and Kurt Gaddy Jr. really sold me on the idea of starting on the ground floor with something new. I already knew the, the topic. It was just a matter of changing the medium. And um, it just seemed like the right time. And, you know, the fact that I lucked into having this incredible partnership with Keith and Ron, who would have known? I mean, it didn't necessarily have to Do you think it would have blossomed this way? I, I, first of all, you have to r recognize that Ronnie and I were not the first choices for these jobs, right? I mean, I was second choice, and, and Ronnie was probably second choice. Um, you know, Keith had only dabbled in it before. and. Right. We were thrown together, and Ronnie had only one year of experience doing the Nationals, and right. he hadn't had much direction. And 
Um, I had never done TV. And so I think, you know, we all kind of needed each other. We, um, we were all kind of starting from scratch. And, and I think that we've leaned on each other over the years. And I think we all make each other better. And why that works out so well, I, I don't know for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When I spoke to Ronnie, Ronnie referred to you as the quarterback. <laughs> that he said they would take the leads from you. And I mean, is it really just Ronnie pitching, Keith hitting, you conducting the show? Yeah, I think it's more than that. I think, first of all, it's television. So we have uh, a large team. You know, it takes um, many dozen people to put yeah. on a telecast. And our producer, Greg Picker, has been with us yeah. for all 18 of these years. And he is, first of all, he loves baseball. He knows the game, and he's very creative, and he gets bored. Yeah. So he pushes us in a, a bunch of different directions, and sometimes we follow and sometimes we don't. And our director, John DeMarsico, um, is very creative in his own right. He's got a cinematic touch to him, and so sometimes we'll follow his lead in terms of which pictures he shows. Um, you know, from there, it's it's all a matter of, you know, I, sometimes we like to refer to it as freeform jazz, we don't really know what we're doing. We just all have something to offer. And if we have something to say, we say it. And if we don't have something to say, we try not to say it. I think that's the biggest thing is we try to avoid the, the boring cliches that people have heard yeah. a billion times on baseball broadcasts. And when the game isn't good, we sometimes delve into other areas. Speaking of that, media guides and baseball cards. Yeah. I mean, you know, you see, I mean, those, 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 Ideas came from Greg. We yeah. never would have come up with those on our on our own, and uh, and we have fun with it. You yeah. know, and that's the key: is that whatever it is we're doing, whether we're talking about the game, which we take seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Right. We try to have fun with whatever it is we're doing, because you know, in this business, if you're having fun, then probably the people watching are having fun. Since this year, you guys have your own bobblehead now. And you you do charity work together, don't you? With you, you tell me a little about the charity work. Well, together. well, my wife has uh, run the uh, Pitching for a Good Cause Foundation for uh, almost fifteen years right. now, at least. And um, you know, uh, we have T-shirts, we have events, we have giveaways. We um, you know we raise money for for various charities. Um, this last year, uh, we um, contributed to Feeding America, trying to. Um, work with people who, uh, who are food insufficient. And, you know, it's just a, it's a small slice of something we can do to give back. I want a couple of calls. Um, Bart's home run, hmm. this was here. I mean, is that top five, one of your top five favorites? You know, here's the thing. I do not rate calls. Right. Here's the way I look at it. If you're judging 
the career of a musician. You don't judge them right. by one riff or one lick in one song. Right. You judge them by the whole album and by the whole compendium of albums. I'm much more concerned about the 500 hours a year than I am by the, the one call right. in the one spot. That having been said, there's a certain magic to baseball in that there are certain times when you know that a big moment's coming, right? right? Somebody's about to set a record, or it's a close game late, or a guy's got a no-hitter going. Those things all kind of take care of themselves. But what makes baseball beautiful is that things happen that you can never conceive of happening. no one can be expected that, right. that day. I mean, it's kind of like, um, remember when Frank Corr lined into the unassisted yes, triple play yes, to yes, end the game? Yes. I mean, that's the kind of thing that comes out of absolutely yeah. nowhere and you can't possibly yeah. prepare for. And those, to me, are the best moments because... It, whatever comes out of your mouth is just pure emotion in the moment. Two of my favorite calls, Robin's Grand Slam single that day right. and Lighter's gem in the postseason. Do you remember anything about those? Well, I, I remember Ventura's home run. That game, uh, it's one of the most memorable games right. we've ever watched. You know, 15 innings, most of it in the rain, six hours long. And what I remember most of anything is my son, who was eight years old at the time, was sitting in the back of the booth next to Chris Majkowski, and he loved baseball. And um, But remember, we played at 4 o'clock that day, so right. the game ended almost right. 10 o'clock. And as soon as Ventura hit the home run and everybody's celebrating, yeah. my son burst out in tears because he was so tired and so hungry because he hadn't eaten in yeah. hours, and just so emotionally spent, he's sobbing in the back of the booth as I'm calling Ventura's really? Grand Slam single. It was, it was one of the uh, most memorable moments I've ever had. How was it to work the two years work with radio with Howie? I mean, oh, those were. Those, I mean, peas in a pod, both historians. I mean, know. I mean, look, I I worked 15 years with Murph, right. who I grew up listening to under my right. pillow. And I have to pinch myself every day that here I was actually sitting next to Bob Murphy and working with him. But working with Howie, it's like, it was like my brain in another person. And the conversations we had that year were just so much fun because we could finish each other's sentences. And, um, you know, we didn't know each other growing up, but we had similar experiences right. as Mets fans. And, um, you know, Howie and I have a little different sensibilities, but we, we work from the same knowledge base, right? Um, so it was, uh, it was great. It was two of the most special years I've ever spent. Your fascination with college basketball, you work a you know, big, you know, misses a hard few game, still since 03, basketball, St. John's, now Seton Hall. You ever think you're just taking a break during the winter? No, because I consider um, college basketball on the radio, that's my, that's my vacation. Right. Um, you know, it's two games a week, so it's not a lot of heavy lifting. It's still right? two hour games. And it's so much fun. I mean, it's completely different than what we do all summer. It's not, you don't have the marathon of doing seven games a week and traveling all the time. Um, yeah, so I, that's a joy for me. I, I don't tell anybody, but I'd probably do it for free. Okay. <laughs> How many times have you seen Bull Durham? How many times have I seen it? Well, I mean, you worked with Durham Bulls. I did. I worked. I worked there the summer before they made the movie. Really? So there actually there are a bunch of players who played for the Durham Bulls that year right. who are actually right. in the movie, and a couple of sports writers who uh, covered right. the Bulls uh, the year that I was there 
are in the movie as well. So that's, that's kind of cool. You, you paid your dues. Spartanburg, Portucket, Durham, hockey games and stuff. I mean, you got to have a sense of accomplishment on June 3rd that you, you didn't have any silver spoons. You know who I had? I had an angel. Right. You know who my angel was? Dave Rosenfield. I remember Dave. Dave Rosenfield was the general manager of the Tidewater yeah. Tides when they were the Mets AAA yeah. team. He was very into broadcasting, and I applied to him for jobs twice. Right. He never hired me, right. but he twice referred me to job. My dur- job in Durham, he referred me for that, right. and I got that job. And then when I went back to Dave the next year and said, okay, hire me now, because he had another opening, he said, Sorry, I already filled it, but call my friend in Pawtucket, really? and I did, and I got the job there. And I, and I think he probably had a little bit to do with me getting the job with the Mets. You know, remember that, Dave? And we used to go down. His drawers were always filled with Twinkies. He had a drawers full of Twinkies. <laughs> they, 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 they he were... did me the greatest favor because he was the hardest person in the world to work for. Everybody who worked for him said that. He was, but he uh, never hired me, but he, hired, he, he, he recommended me for other jobs. We used to go down to play games there. Used to charge us. We had we had to pay for the meals mm-hmm. in, in the dining room <laughs> and, and, and pay for tickets too. You know, he was a character. He certainly. So was. without mentioning, how could these without mentioning names? Do you remember your first day on the job with the Mets? I do. My first day on the job was um, spring training right. of 1989. Yes. Now I had filled in for a game the previous year, but that was my first right. day of actually being in the stadium as a Mets employee. And I walk into photo day. Yes. <laughs> yes, you walk into photo day. <laughs> the famous uh, dust up between Hernandez and Strawberry. You probably say, what the hell have I got myself into? It was, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a, just a typical day in Mets land. It was the perfect day well, to what start. What were you thinking about? Dude? You first did a job. Two of the superstars are swinging each other. Me, the photo. And you know, photo. I didn't know what to think. I was, um, I was. You know, watching this team from afar for yeah. years, and that was my first day seeing them up close, and um, it was an interesting bunch. Yeah. I mean, but everybody welcomed me. I was, you know, I was very surprised when I came up and uh, started with the Mets, how welcoming the players were, and even more so the um, the other broadcasters around the league, the, the veteran guys, Vin Scully and Skip Carey and and Tom and uh, Marty Brenneman and all those guys. Were so kind to me from day one, and um, I always appreciate it. As a Met fan, how was it to work with Tom Seaver? I never worked with Seaver, but you know, being a colleague of his That's was, what I pretty, meant, was pretty awesome. I mean, the, just sitting on a bus and and having a, yeah. a you know casual conversation with Tom Seaver was pretty pretty awe inspiring. Yeah. And I tried not to you know be in awe, but it's, it's hard not to be. Did you have a favorite guy? Favorite Met yeah. to watch well, since, since we started yeah. broadcasting. Well, that's a hard one. I mean, I have a lot of guys who I liked away from the field, the, the, the Tom O'Malley's, the yeah. Tim Bogars, the people like that who were just terrific people. Um, I always liked watching Juan Lagaris. Yeah. He was always a favorite the of King. mine. He was so yeah. smooth in the outfield. He was, I mean, he was, for a couple of years there, he was yeah. as good as anybody. Rare Donez was just magical to watch in the field. I'm a big fan of, of fielding and, and great plays and, those are the guys who I, I gravitate to. Well, Gary, thank you for your time. And it could be great to you, Howie, Hojo, and Al, Hall of Fame. And you. And me. Well, you know, I, you know, I mean, Hall of Fame be, Achievement well, Award. I'm, Don't uh, sniff at it. How long does it take to get your speech down? You know, I wrote it in about 10 minutes the other day, 
and I'm sure I'm going to amend it yeah. like 50 times between now and the uh, and the day. Can I make a suggestion? Sure. Today I consider myself the luckiest <laughs> man, man, man on the face of the earth, earth, earth. Doesn't that mean that you don't? <laughs> Stay on the earth much no, longer. Okay, okay. <laughs> all the best, my friend. Thank you, Jay. Pleasure working with you all these Thank years. Thank you. Thanks, Gary.